Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, listeners. Good afternoon, good afternoon. A pleasant good afternoon to you. Good morning or good day, as we should say, because we are reaching people across the world wide web. Nevertheless, we are happy and excited that we have listeners across the internet. Fantastic. Now, welcome to another edition of our Saturday show, Chatting with Dr. Leonard Richardson. Today we have a show about the harbor, how, what an important role the harbor plays. But let me just mention a few things first. Dr. Richardson is with us today. I'm going to say hi to him in a minute. But we also have Ms. Valerie Sims, who's trying her best to call in. She's on St. John today and is having technical difficulties connecting with the phone lines. But we also have a guest calling in from where? Copenhagen, Denmark. That's going to be exciting. Nevertheless, let's go ahead and say hi to Dr. Richardson. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Gibbs. Good morning, Etienne. And good day to the rest of the listeners, wherever they may be, depending upon what time, in terms of if it's morning or it's afternoon or if it's evening, if they're listening via the Internet or any other electronic device. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And guess what? Let's do something a little different today. Let's go straight into our phone call. We have a phone call came in just as the show started. Let's see who that is. Good morning, caller on the line, Eric Code 453. Go ahead. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from, please. Hello. It's from the Yes, go ahead, caller. Is this Peter? Yeah, thank you. Hello, Peter. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you, and good day today. Day, <laughs> yes, right. Today, right. how are you? Yes, I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. Peter? I'm, uh, I'm I'm in a small uh, hotel room because there's a big birthday in my family, but oh. uh, I have the opportunity to uh, call you right now. Fantastic. It's afternoon here. Yeah. Yes. I'm Peter, tell the people. Looking forward to it. Okay, Peter, tell the audience who you are and why you're calling. Where are you now? Yeah, uh, I'm the founder of the U.S. Virgin Island Maritime Museum. Started about five years ago. My idea as a boat builder was to uh, participate in in a boat building program to make this um, <clears throat> fruit and vegetable market open again on the front line in St. Thomas. Oh, fantastic! Fantastic. And here you are in Copenhagen yeah. talking with us. Great. Let me introduce you to my my colleague, Dr. Leonard Richardson. He's on the other line. He wants to say hello to you. Yes. Hello. Go ahead, Doc. Yes. Hello. Hello, Doc. Yes. How are you doing, sir? I'm fine. And you? Okay. Well, I'll say something, and I'll say it this way. Welcome. Welcome in Dansk West Indies. <laughs> uh-huh. See, Peter, he can speak to you in, yeah. in, in Danish. The best I can do is a little German. That's all. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Great, great. Yes. Now, Peter, you have several things going on. You have the museum, which is online, and you have collected pictures of the old Danish days. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, right. that's correct. I've been collecting right. for a couple of years. Yeah. Yes. I've I've borrowed some of those and I put them on Pinterest. So I want to thank you ever so much for having those available. You're Great. very welcome. Okay. Now tell us a little bit about the project you're working on. I think it's called the Alberta Project. Yes, Alberta. Yeah. Uh, it, it's um, it's a kind of a sad story, really. Because there was two kids that was coming uh, from uh, St. Croix, yeah. Um, yeah, and they ended up in uh, in Copenhagen, 
and oh. and uh, um, it was a part of a, a big uh, colony uh, uh, um, kind of a show. You know, it was talking about Greenland and 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 the, the West Indies, and uh, mm-hmm. we are back in the early nineties. And, wow. and uh, yeah. All all the Danish people hear uh, about the boy because he had a very uh, successful life and he was uh, a music teacher in a school. But the girl, Alberta, she was unlucky and died um, and was buried the day the Danish sold the islands. Oh. So so my point, my my view of this Alberta is to honor this. Girl, yes. uh, which uh, uh, came to Denmark and have a very short life. She oh died of uh, tuberculosis. Yeah. Wow! Oh, oh wow! That's so unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But so it's good that you can. Talking, everybody's talking about this anniversary we have now, the 100 uh-huh. years. I'm talking oh, yes. about honor, Alberta. It's 100 years ago. She was buried, and oh. and uh, I would like to honor her. And sure, and very good, excellent. Kind of a kind of a gift. Um, yes. I'm a boat builder. I would like to come to your island and and start a boat building project to build a native sloop. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Well, Peter, let us know if there's anything we can do to be of help to you. Let us know. We'd be more than happy to help you. Yeah, I, I've been looking for for some to 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 join, but it was not really some some group or some some people that was doing this kind of thing. So that's why I made the U.S. Virgin Islands Maritime Museum. It was kind of fun that that I've come from Denmark and make this museum, but yes. it was a way to, to start it and, and, and let people know that I think it's needed. It's not like a museum in a big house. It's more like a living museum with boats in the harbor uh-huh. and tourists can, can buy food from the boats, see the boats and be a part of the historic history. Sure. And where, yeah. where's well, the museum, Peter? Yeah, the, the museum is actually only on the, the internet. On the, the internet then, only. Of course, okay. I have, I have print. Yes. Uh, I was uh, making a, a big uh, ex- expedition here in Denmark with with the pictures that I have with yes. the harbor and the Quite a lot. Yes. And, yeah. 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 And um, in, in in that way, I have made a lot of contact. And, oh, that's and good. Meet people and yeah. Well, good. But it, but it's not it's not funded from any government or anything. Oh. I've been I've been talking with with uh, uh, Senator Myron uh, uh, T. Jackson, and, yes. and he 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 knows the museum and. And uh, but but I, I I know there's no money to really just you know just start. So what I do is is try to get people together on this on, on this project, and hopefully I I will succeed. And and uh, there will be five or six um, skilled school children that will uh, like to be involved and and, and be. Yes. Yeah. So what? So what you're saying is you could use a sponsor or two. Well, hopefully, by the show we can have somebody listening and maybe contribute and help you get it up and running. Yeah, I, I'm not a rich guy. I'm just a boat builder. <laughs> None of us. Small, small company. Yeah. Okay. But, Very good. Uh, but 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 before actually I can uh, receive any donation, there there have to be a, a, a local. Uh, Manager for this. Okay. Uh, right okay. now, I'm, I'm just kind of uh, a volunteer, but sure. I made the project. 
so far. Very good, Peter. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Doctor, anything you want to add to that, Dr. Richardson? Well, what I was about to suggest was I'll give you some names where you can contact, and one of the names will be a person who is from Denmark who now lives here, he and his wife. As a matter of fact, uh, he's connected with a group called the Friends of Denmark. And the oh, Friends yeah, of- I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm a member, yeah. Oh, good. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Kanstrup. Hans? Kanstrupale. Kanstrup. Yeah. And his wife, Margit Kanstrup. Okay. I, I, and um, the friends of I know Hans Pugel. Yeah. Yes, and I'm getting ready to give you another name. Uh, the name Pierre Dom, or Peter Dom was his father, Pierre Dom, who worked in the yachting industry located out in the east in Red Hook. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. the old family that I've been in the That is correct. So you know that. Yeah. Yes, good. They'll be very interested and very helpful. And the Friends of Denmark, of which I'm a member also, we will be very interested in propagating and whatever we can do to help. Now, the Danmark, D-A-N-M-A-R-K, the ship, will be here next week, as a matter of fact. And yeah. it is the museum and the train, well, not a museum, it's a training ship for the youngsters from Denmark. And so that'll be here, and there'll be open houses in terms of times that are scheduled for visitations, and that is an excellent way of exposing and propagating your industry. And it is very important because... Charlotte Amalia was a principal, a uh-huh. mainstay of yes. the maritime industry in the Caribbean. Yes. So oh, yes. that's very oh, yeah. important, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Anything else, Peter? Two, uh, yeah, there's actually two wooden boats coming over there. The, that is the, true. The, the, the Tura and Svenen. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, it's oh. great, yeah. Fantastic. Well, Peter, you're welcome to stay on the line. We have another caller coming in. You don't have to hang up. Okay. there. Enjoy the show as long as you want to. When you have to leave, you have to leave. That's okay. But uh, thank you very much for taking the time to call in from Copenhagen. Good connection. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, Peter. You're welcome. welcome. Okay. You're most welcome. Let's go to the other caller. Caller calling in from area code 345. Go ahead, tell us your name and where are you calling from, please? Hey, that's me. It's Valerie. Val, I'm calling from St. John's. Hey, Dr. Valerie's connected. Hey, Dr. Valerie's here. I had a guest. Hello, Dr. Valerie. Hello, Valerie. That's a lovely project. It sounds amazing. Yeah. But Valerie, mm. we have been friends for years now. Oh, and really? I'm really glad. I'm really Fantastic. glad you have helped me so much. Oh, that's great. Through hey, Facebook, Val. yes. yes. Tell, tell our audience why I'm so excited and happy that you're on, because you have made some changes. Tell, tell our audience about what's going on in your life right now. Oh, well, well as you know, I'm in St. John. And um, and we were just at the St. John Historical Society fundraiser, and that was that was exciting to have all of these families from St. John sharing their history from the marshes and the knights, and um, and and of course the Creaky family. Yeah, uh-huh. so it was a great great evening. I put together a commemorative line of note cards that I was selling, and I sold wow. out. So, so <laughs> yeah, good. so it's been fun. That's good. It's been a That's lot good. of fun, St. John. We're all excited about the centennial, and and yes. um, in fact, today the parade is going on for um, um, uh, the the holiday, St. Yes. Patrick's Day. The St. Patrick's Day, yeah. Town yes. is full of people. Wow. But yes, I'm happy to hear Peter. It's the first time I'm hearing his voice and learning more <laughs> about his project in Alberta, and he wants to build a boat over in Coral Bay, which yes. is a perfect place. 
So Fantastic. certainly, I think he should hook up even with the members of the St. John Historical Society um, yes. looking for fundraising and whatnot. He's still in the line. Yeah. They have a lot Peter, of benefactors who can help. Sounds great. Okay, yeah, great, yeah. great, great, great. Yeah. Now, Val, Doc is on the line, too. Say hi to Doc. Oh, hi, Doctor. How are you doing? Oh, I am well, thank God. Thank you for asking. <laughs> How are you? Good how do and good how do, and I am so well. I can't tell you how good I am. Good. Very good. I would yeah. just like to add one name to his listing. I don't know if he already has it, but I would like to suggest a very good person with whom, with whom he can get in contact is none other than Mr. Stephen Bourne. Oh, Stephen yes. Bourne, yes, particularly as he works with the Peter Gruber Institute uh, at the Antilles School, and so that scholarships are available and those kinds of things, connections, are always helpful, particularly when we stop and we think about what the Bourne family in terms of not only Stephen's dad and mom and grandparents, but the connections and the contributions to the society and to the island, specifically to St. Thomas and Charlotte Amalia. And the maritime industry, as I was saying earlier, is central, central not only to St. Thomas or to the Virgin Islands, but to the Caribbean as the Danes traversed and the Germans also interacted up and down and the interaction and what happened in terms of, one, how important and how necessary was it for the transfer. Because, you know, we talk about the centennial, but what many people do not realize, the centennial only really reflects, depending upon how you want to look at it, from 1917 to 2017. That's 100 years. Anything prior to 1917 is pre-centennial. And anything after 2017 will be post-centennial. So we're looking at that epoch of time from 1917 to 2017, which is where we are right now. So that's important because a lot of people want to talk about how to look back. And if we go beyond that time, we're not talking centennial. We're talking about Danish rules, centennial of Danes transferring to the Americans. Go ahead. Yes. Well, I just wanted to mention that the harbor played a very important role, not only during the Danish time, but in a period of time in the 1800s particularly. It was a free port, which meant that anyone could come in and go out except for the pirates. (laughs) I'm being facetious right now (laughs) because they're all pirates, and we'll talk about them some other time. But, Doc, if you have a comment or two about pirates that that were here in St. Thomas, there's a myth, and I don't know if it's really true or not, but were there really pirates here? Well, there are three divisions of persons who plow the sea in the maritime trade and profession. Yes. There were pirates, privateers, yes. and buccaneers. Okay. Depend, depend upon how one focuses one's attention, we will have to take a very close look. Now, okay. folklore has developed into such things as the romanticized version of Bluebeard. And also Blackbeard. Now, Blackbeard actually existed. His name was actually Edward Teach. Edward Teach, yes. That was his real name. Now, Bluebeard, Mm -hmm. where the hotel is now and what we call the timeshare development, is interesting to note because it was part of an observatory of line of fortress of protection for the harbor. So Bluebeard's Mm -hmm. Fort Christian and Blackbeard Castle, which was Blackbeard outlook or lookout were the parts that were used for fortification, for defense, and protection. Well, I understand also that each of those castles, Bluebeard and Blackbeard castles, were lookout points that that coordinated with the fort because the fort was on lower ground. I know. Lower ground, but those two were on higher ground. Exactly. They had the elevation. Yes, the elevation. Oh, my. Uh Mother Nature's elevation, fantastic. Yes, yeah. natural elevation. 
Yes. Now, later on, there will be one other castle that will be added, but that was not necessarily in that sense, and that would be as you go to what we call the other side of the island, overlooking Fairchild Castle. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, towards Bagans Bay. At the but top of the hill, yes. On the top of the hill again. The natural yes. protection, fortification, yes. elevations, the hillside, wow. unlike St. Croix and yes. unlike St. John, although St. John has a higher elevation, but it was almost impassable. But St. Thomas provided the ideal. And since the center of the city was just down the spyglass look or the yes. binoculars, if you will, you could see Charles Amalia on tapas, as it was called there. Yeah. Yes. Well, the harbor played a very important role throughout our history, particularly the Danish history. And it was harbored with merchants and traders uh, for several reasons. One of the reasons is that the uh, Danish West Indies in those days had the largest floating dock. Is that right, Doc? That is correct, on Water Island and on okay. Hassel Island. The largest one was on Hassel Island. As a matter oh. of fact, the Lockhart Company was the managing company for the dry dock, so to speak, the floating dock. And a boat went up on that dock called the Catherine, and apparently something happened, and the dock got damaged, and it sank, and it was never able to be raised again. Only parts of it there. But if you go to a place on Hassel Island, you can go to what used to be a restaurant called the Royal Mail Inn. The Royal Mail Inn. That's right. The boat came and delivered the mail, and people went over there. And as a matter of fact, the Paiwanski family, members of the family, still live on Hassel Island over on a part there. The top part of Hassel Island is actually known as Signal Hill. And you can walk up there and see the tracks and see what was done. And the panoramic view of not only St. Thomas, but also looking to St. Croix and looking westward and southern, and the southern outlook gave you a very good overview of why the harbor is, as it was then and still remains, the natural harbor and the shape and the ability to exit and enter. And it was enhanced by the dredging of a part that became known as Cricky Slip. Now, Val, mm-hmm. you would be interested in that, uh, mm-hmm. and it connects with your family's name, Cricky Slip, because there was at one time a disease known as cholera, and the waters from the harbor from, could not exit, and so they decided, the engineers, that if they were to cut a passage, the water can then flow out and go out to sea and reduce the cholera epidemic that was devastating wow. St. Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> Wow! Oh wow! Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, you know, you were talking about the Catherine um, sinking the floating dock. That's correct. I found that uh, I found that information in in the old newspapers. It was in 1924. Go to wow. the class, 1924. That... <laughs> I, I know I'm I'm always sort of on point. <laughs> yes, yes. Good job, Al. Yes, I. I've seen that photo floating around Facebook quite a bit because, you know, it's, it captures your attention right away when you see the whole thing listing on its side. But, yeah, That's that was correct. 1924, and um, yes. I think Mr. Paiwanski lost out quite a bit. Um, yes. You know, as a with matter of fact, as of that, you know, it, that event predates all of our arrival on the planet, but nevertheless, it's there. And if one mm-hmm. is interested enough, one can research and look it up and see that we are correct. It said that the floating dock was there for 57 years before that incident happened. Exactly. And and, um, Mr. Pawanski was quite disappointed, had to turn it over to Lloyd's to uh, try to get the funds back. Lloyd's of London, the insurance company. Mm hmm. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Doc, if you could explain for our listeners, please. What is that floating dock and what its purpose? Excuse me? I didn't hear you. Could you explain to our audience the definition of a floating dock? Why is it it called a floating dock? 
Well, it's mechanically driven. Actually, it's the ability of the ship to come to a certain position. And beneath the ship would have these pontoons and shafts uh-huh. that would then come up and lift the ship out of the water oh. in the same position to do repairs, whether by damage or removal of barnacles or other maritime creatures that will attach themselves or yeah. going against a reef. And this would be done maintaining the ship in its position without having to remove the ballasts and without having to do any additional work. Wow. And then the docks would then be lowered, the pontoons would be lowered, and the ship would come to rest in the water just as if it had never left the water to begin wow. with. Now, the, the trick to the trade was during that time, everything was done by steam. And so the problem was mechanically, if you go back to Archimedes' principle, once you have an object in water, the object displaces a certain amount of water equivalent to the weight of, of the ship. Yes. The problem was you had to have someone who was very, very keen, and you had to know the gross tonnage of the ship in order to be mm-hmm. sure that the ship could be raised safely because damage was very extensive if it were not because, just as Zal pointed out, if it careened on the side and careened too far to one side, mm-hmm. it could tumble over. Yes. Now, just as in Frenchtown, there is an area that was known and is still known today by many of us or many persons called carénage. And yes. carénage means to lean, to clean the ships, to scrape the ships of the barnacles, and to clean and to repair and to replank and to do what is called putting the tar or the asphalt in between the seams and the oakum to seal it so they become watertight. Now, oh. the, problem was, the problem was, yes, the problem was that only a certain size, and these are smaller boats, not the larger steam vessels. The larger steam vessels had to go to the floating dry dock, which would be raised by the steam engine. But in Frenchtown, this was just a matter of the, the sailboats that could be easily pulled or hauled ashore, lean on the side, clean, and then lean on the other side, clean, and then push back on to the water. Mm. Interesting. Wow. Now, all that took place on Hassel Island, is that correct? That is correct. Okay, okay. So a harbor played a very important role. Not only did ships come in and went out, but they also stayed here and got repairs done, and they brought a lot of cargo and merchandise for our merchants. Explain how that merchandise worked with the warehouses on Main Street, please. Well, before we get to that, we have to remember that this was an era of not so much diesel. Diesel hadn't come into play yes. as yet, but more so the coaling industry and then we'll be going into the diesel industry. Now, you okay. asked for explanation. What happened was, the thing is, if you look at the main street, on the left-hand side, that is traveling from east to west, the left-hand side of the main street, all from Norregada on down to Crown Prince's Gada, but specifically between Norregada and Dronigan's Gada, all of the buildings on that side of the street had rails that were used to transport whatever commodities were coming from the ships or from the island to the ships. In other words, the ships could not come but so far in because there was no waterfront per se at the time. There was just a bay. And so the smaller boats would have to bring the equipment or the materials from the larger boat onto these rails that went down to the waterfront areas, we call it, but actually it's to the bay. And then these rails would bring them up into the Main Street area to be distributed to the stores and the houses for whatever the commodities were. And particularly Cricky or Cricky's Alley and the business of making sure 
that everything from, as I said, what is today Cardao, from that area on west, traveling on the left-hand side, every alleyway had some rails. They look very much like rails for the railroad station, so that they had a cart that would be pushed or pulled down to the bay area. Then you would unload, if you started on land, unload those things to smaller boats that would take them out to the larger vessels. And the reversing from the larger vessels to smaller boats up to the bay, unload, put them on these rails, and then they would bring them up into the alleyways or into what we call the places for distribution, such as the stores, Creaky Slip, for example, Beretta Center, and going on Trumpetagada, which is where uh, Creaky's Alley was located, and also going on down to what would become known as the area between Gutetzgada and all of the sideways. Now, nothing on the other side of the street, because that was across the main street, but strictly on the water side. If we could imagine for a moment that the buildings that we now know that are there were not there from the beginning, then you would see how far in the water came. It is when the waterfront was constructed that they put up a bulkhead. But prior to that, it was just the small boats coming with some posts and some places to tie them up, and then the rails came down, and you unloaded from the smaller boats onto these rails and pushed them up. And then the same thing is true for exporting. You put them on these uh, rails, and then you took them down to the water's edge, the smaller boats, which then transported them out to the uh, ships that were out further where they could safely navigate the water. Wow. So, um, now, most, harbor- most, prominent, most prominent among those things would be such things as the ruck, what we would call, believe it or not, the ruckus liquor, the things that were used. Mm-hmm. And uh, coming the other way would be commodities, consumable commodities, flour, sugar, and all those kinds of things. But liquor was the king. Just as cotton was king, <laughs> liquor was king. And liquor. every place looked for Mainly rum. Liquor. Oh, <laughs> well, huh? I'm sorry? Mainly rum. Oh, yes, rum, rum, <laughs> rum, liquor. Yes, for all, yes. including for medicinal purposes, not just for consumption, yes. but for medicinal purposes as well. Yeah. Now, our harbor played a very important role because... St. Thomas, more particularly Charlotte and Mali, was a merchandise center. And you had ships coming from all over the world primarily, but mainly mm-hmm. from the Caribbean, bringing cargo, bringing merchandise to our merchants here on Charlotte and Mali. And because of that, the harbor was constantly in use. And the, uh, the, the tonnage, for example, in the 1800s, there was an average of 2,000 to 3,000 ships that came annually. Could you imagine that? Today we That's have fewer ships coming in. But could you imagine 2,000 ships per year? Up to 3,000 <laughs> per year? That's a busy harbor. Indeed. Yeah, it went up in the 1860s. It went up to 4,600 ships annually. And that's a lot and, of people, a lot of ships. And consider the size. Yes. yes. How navigable the area had to have been yes. in order to accommodate those ships. Now, one of the things that many people may have forgotten or may not be aware of is we're not talking about a very wide or long area. We're really no. talking about an area from what is known as a West India Company or yes. Haven site to the center of town, which would be just about are uh, where Valerie's family's property would be, uh, the and then the Crickies Alley, yeah. It didn't go much beyond that, because yeah. that was, in fact, the center of town, the hub. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of then course, after, in those days... Go ahead. I was going to say, after a while, we had tall ships coming in, too. And right. some of them came from the Caribbean ports, but a quarter of them came from European ports. So we well, had an international fact, harbor. Right. As a matter of fact, most of them came from the European ports for two reasons. One, 
St. Thomas was considered the capital of fine cooking, eating, drinking, and living on the high-end life. And so, in fact, cheeses, wines, anything, French wines and cheeses from Copenhagen, Denmark in that area, and Holland, all came to St. Thomas to be redistributed somewhere else. Wow, they brought the cheese. (laughs) Oh, yes. It was was quite an area. Uh, the Denmark, as a matter of fact, was one that uh, that type, not necessarily that one, yeah. and also another ship called Lega- called Le Galion, which was a Spanish vessel. In terms of the ships that were used in the Spanish Armada, that mm. that went up the coast but didn't quite make it to England. In terms of Philip going against England, the point yeah. I'm trying to make was that they were all wind driven. And can you imagine? Navigable yes. area, if you're doing some of this world, Jim, you have to do a lot of things that are called tacking and sailing and shifting of the boom and that kind of thing, wow. blowing of the sails and the jib and all of that. So you don't have a lot of room for error. You had to know exactly what you were doing because you would have exactly. many collisions and things of that sort because yeah. you are the mercies of the wind. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what was surprising to me to learn was I expected to find a lot more Danish ships, but that wasn't the case. The ship that came on the Danish flags came in increasingly smaller numbers. For example, in the 1800s, it was about 23% of the ships in the harbor were Danish. In the final year, uh, before the sale in 1970, it was down to 13%. That's a good 10% drop in Danish ships. And most of the ships in 1820 sailed under the American flag. But in the 1910, the British ships became completely dominant. Now, why, why is that change? Well, there's several reasons. One of the things we have to remember is... Uh-oh. We're back to mention. Let's try this. Doc? Uh, we're losing him. Yes. All right. We have lost Doc. So he was about to tell us why there were several reasons for the, the shift, the downward shift in the number of ships coming from Denmark or flying under the Danish flag. Mm. Doc, you back? No, he's having trouble with his phone. No. You or know, um, with the, flo- with the floating dock... It was uh, 250 feet long. It was quite significant. And there's a picture of um, one of the Navy boats. It's over 100 feet long that's lifted. And uh, so it's quite impressive in the harbor there. Yes. Now, compared to today's tourist ships, I know we have the mega ships. They are humongous. But compared just one of the smallest ships before we went to the, the mega ships, could you imagine two, three 400 of those ships in a harbor? There was no way they could Hello? Hello? Yeah, go ahead, Doc. Yes. We can hear you. We can hear oh, you. Oh, okay, well, fine. Good. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. The interesting thing is there was a shift. Remember now, they were shifting from steam to diesel, yes. and uh-huh. also the European interest was heightened by such things as military prowess, and oh, yes. also interest. The Panama Canal was dug, or the connection was made. The ship was made from Nicaragua to Panama. And as a result of that, the Americans felt they needed to have some sort of protection because the Germans, who were very active in their maritime exploration and military ventures, they were doing a number of things. And we go back and we take a look and we realized that Denmark was an absentee landlord. And during that time, we would find that America, the United States, having been in World War I, was very cautious and very much afraid of the intrusion, as they call it, into this part of the world that they thought was really kind of sacred to them. Let us reflect back on a little bit of history. Remember the Monroe Doctrine 
had said that the western part of the world, that is the Caribbean and so forth, would be closed to European intervention, and likewise, no further intervention would be possible. This is going to present some problems later on with Cuba also. But let's get back to that particular era. The shipping tonnage dropped considerably. Let us remember also that when we stop and we think about it, seven flags had flown over the Virgin Islands, particularly St. Thomas. And by seven flags, I mean seven nationalities and entities. Among them would be the Knights of Malta, the French flag, the Dutch flag, the Danish flag, the German flag, and, of course, the English flag. America had not really entered into that era as yet in predominant numbers. But remember from the history, there was a kind of thing called setting world speed. And one of the types of vessels used was called the flying cloud, which was mm-hmm. a ship. Yes. You remember that, the name? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that was used primarily to establish speed records. Now, it took a long time for messages to go back and forth because the telegraph hadn't been finalized and hadn't been modernized until much later. So it took a long time. So by the time something happened, you sent a message, the thing was overdone with and it could be completely different (laughs) by the time (laughs) you got to wherever the location was. So the, the, the tonnage dropped considerably. And in the dropping of the tonnage, we find that other things were happening too. Wow. Not only the tonnage, but the number of ships from Copenhagen. Now, did it well, that's, what did I, the, that's what I meant. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. So did Copenhagen get involved with, uh, with the steamships, or did they stay strictly with the sailing ships? Oh, no, they got involved because, remember, at this time, now, depending upon what time you're referencing, dep- okay. at that time, remember now, Germany had begun its move for expansion yes. because you find that not the Nazi party as yet, but at the close of World War I, 1917, we found that, in fact, Germany felt that they had been placed on the heavy restraints and they wanted to do some things. So the Weimar Republic is going to rise, and from that, we're going to have later on the rise of the Nazi party and Adolf Hitler. Yes. And so as a yes. result of that, mechanized Germany will overpower everyone else. And as wow. they began their march on the Balkan states and moving into Slovakia, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, and all of the Montenegro and those areas, we're going to find that, in fact, the powers that be, Denmark is going to be placed on the heavy, heavy confrontation with Germany. It shares a boundary or border with Germany, you know, Ufland, for example, Uland, and when you get up there, you will see that, in fact, how close they were. And the problem was the United States was already out here, and the United States felt that since they were looking for protection, we have to do something and to purchase the Virgin Islands coming down to 1917 because there were many yeah. attempts before for purchase, but then we had the hurricanes, we had the tsunami, we had the disease uh, and kinds of things that were happening. But the United States felt that they may as well go ahead. And don't forget that Alaska was purchased roughly around the same time for less than $25 million in gold. And when you look at the tonnage, not only the tonnage in shipping, when they look at the acreage in terms of the land mass, they got more for Alaska and paid less and paid more for the Virgin Islands and got less instead of islands rather than a contiguous land mass. So those are some of the factors to be considered. Wow. Interesting. Now, let me ask you this. It was said that, that Germany was kind of deceitful in that they brought submarines here to the Virgin Islands and kept them hidden on the, on the water. Would that be true, part one? And would that be the reason why we be, the United States developed a submarine base? Well, there are two things about that. 
One, the mere fact the name submarines means under. Yes. Of course, underwater. They could travel under the water. Yes. yes, and that's going to lead to something else in terms of South America as to yes. like, whatever is conjured up in one's mind as to why South America became a stronghold for Germany. But let's mm-hmm. deal with the Virgin Islands. Dealing with the Virgin Islands, yes, of course. But the thing was, sub-base, as it's called, was a holding pen. Remember, we're going to have something called tankers. The tankers are going to be sub-tenders. Those are ships that would have to transport material, food, and unload it onto the submarines. But the point was, sub-base became a place where, because of the shape of the harbor and the protection, you could look and watch carefully to see if anything was approaching, and you always had an escape route through what would become known as Water Island. You escaped out that way. You enter from the harbor from Charter Malia in terms of up in town if you wanted to, and mm-hmm. you could always have a haven. So the business of a sub-pen where they were kept was very instrumental and helpful during that period of time. Interesting. Because, you know, even though the submarines were underwater, at some point in time, you have to come come up for air so that you can recharge your diesel batteries and make sure your snorkel on the sub was working and your cunning tower and your periscope and all those things were clear. You couldn't do that if you were underwater. You had to surface. But while you surfaced, you had to be on the lookout for any imminent attacks. And so the submarine tenders, which were ships, used for transporting and supporting and supplying materials in terms of food and whatever hardware would be necessary, armaments, shells, torpedoes, whatever, that that would be provided. And what we call here the sub-base was a place of pen where they were kept and where they were repaired or where they were supplied. Excellent. Excuse me. You're talking about American Uh subs. You're talking about American subs that were kept there. Not, not yes, the but you see, the, German, yeah. the Germans traversed the area. You never could tell. Yes. They had yes. the superior mechanical yes. ability and superior uh, technology, so you yeah. never knew. So you had to be on the lookout. On the lookout. But the Germans yes. were traversing the entire Caribbean, and I was yes. making a side entrance into that's one of the reasons South America, particularly Argentina and Peru, became so important because they became havens for German activity. And many people have contested, or many people have said, that in fact it became Germany or Nazi Germany relocated from Germany or from Deutschland into America del Sur, which is South America. You know, it is oftentimes said that Hitler did not die, as it's oftentimes (laughs) that he came to the... Yes. South American continent, you know. The, the, the other Germany. Yes, the other Germany <laughs> or the new Germany, yeah. Okay, yeah. Val, do you have anything to offer about the sub-base what? or anything going well, on in I those remember, days? I remember reading that the German subs were all the way off the coast of, of Maine and Canada, and they yeah. were taking exactly. innocent fishing trips wow. as they boats as they came back in. You know, some of the men, they would let off, but they just sunk the whole ship with all the cargo of fish for no reason. Wow. Well, um, you're absolutely correct, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it brings back to my mind from my studies that you remember there were two major, two major steamships that were lost in 1912 around that time, and that would be just as World War I was almost in its heyday, and the precursor to World War II. The first one was called the Titanic and the Lusitania. Yeah. The oh, Titanic yes. was this sunk there, was sunk by the iceberg, and the Lusitania was sunk by the German submarine. And the German mm-hmm. U-boats sank the Lusitania in full view of people or so that they could see the power and the prowess of Germany. Now, that would be a cry for revenge, revenge, revenge. The Titanic went down because of the iceberg, but that was up in the North Atlantic. But one of the things that people 
need to do is they need to revisit the maps and see exactly what the North Sea was and the Baltic Sea. And that is one of the reasons the British would refer to going across the pond in terms of to America, because as you go up the North American coast, New England, and you get to places like Halifax and Newfoundland, you would see that, in fact, it's just a hop, skip, and a throw or a jump across <laughs> the northern Atlantic and on to getting into Europe and then going into the North Sea and into the Baltic. And Germany and Denmark had a confrontation, and Denmark, which was considered mistress of the Baltic, lost the confrontation, and Denmark lost her proud title of mistress of the Baltic to the Germans. And that gave Germany access to the sea as well as access to the land. As I pointed out, up in Uland, as they call it, where Germany and Denmark have a common border, it now gave Germany access to the waterway through the Baltic Sea and down the North Sea. Okay, fantastic. Well, the Lusitania was sad because it was just cruise ship passengers. It was just, you know, holidayers, you know, to lose their life like that. But now Uh what about the loss of the SS Proteus? Remember that? Yes, that was a sister ship also. The Germans wanted, wanted to demonstrate superiority not only on land with the mechanized army and all that, but also of the sea. Wow. And so there were sinking ships, nilly willy, wherever, to show you. You know, there was, a sta- there was a statement that was said years ago, Britannia ruled the waves. And this was Germany's mm-hmm. response to, you rule the waves? You think so? Now, let me see what you're going to do with this. And so yeah. they were just sinking ships up and wow. down, left and right. And almost sometimes without warning, all you would see would be a periscope if you saw that much, because a lot of the time the sinking took place at dusk or at dawn when visibility was not at its optimum. Yeah. And so they just sank ships. I mean, whether or not they were maritime for materials or wartime or just commercial or just pleasure veg- uh, vessels. And the Lusitania was one that was most memorable in people's minds and the cry went forth the cry did not go forth in terms of the Titanic but the Croatia was also one of those because that was a sister ship that was sunken also mm-hmm. amazing wow well, the, yeah the Proteus was sad for us because we had a family member on board a 19 oh, really? year old and oh, uh, yeah, it just that. disappeared in 1941. Never. That's correct. Never That's returned. Correct. Up to today, nobody knows what happened to the ship. Wow. It yeah. is alleged it was sunken. <clears throat> yeah, and, and the just disappeared. Ship the well, well, there's another thing that I could say. I just give an in quick insight. Remember, the Germans were involved in a number of other kinds of things that no other country had been privy to. And one of those things would be what happened to the Manhattan Project, what happened to dealing with radar and dealing with such things as causing vessels and planes to disappear, at least disappear from human sight at the time. The Germans were heavily into that. Mm -hmm. So no explanation is given except that it disappeared. A distress mm-hmm. call was put out, but it was to no avail. Yeah. Wow. And if you notice, even here in St. Thomas, we have a lot of German names and a lot of German locations yes. and a lot of things that were done that also border on the heavy trafficking of Germany, Deutschland here. Yeah. And even such things as a yellow brick as opposed to the red brick Red brick being primarily Danish, yellow brick being primarily German. And, of course, the Danes also used the yellow brick later, but the yellow brick was distinguishably German, and the red brick was distinguishably Danish. And as you go up on the hill, high road, and around that area, you'll see that the buildings are carry that kind of color coding or what we call perception in terms of who own what, 
who ruled where or what. Wow. And Germany was heavily invested and involved in the Virgin Islands. Really? Specifically, yes. Wow. Specifically. I'll give uh-huh. you a little a little insight. Does the name yes. Kruger ring a bell? Kruger. No. Not, okay. not yet. Okay, well it should. The reason is Florence Kruger, who owned the gift box, which was a store located on Rodetsgada, you may know it okay. as Crazy Cow Corner. Yes, Florence Crazy Kruger. Cow. Her mother was Mrs. Manneke. The name Manneke oh, is German. Oh, yes, I'm glad you would know. Manneke, yes. Mm-hmm. They they owned Villa Olga. Her name was mm-hmm. Olga Manneke. And Villa Olga, if you go down, in French town, you get out to the point, you see it juts across and it connects that part of the island with Hassel Island. And that's where the cut was made for passage. So Kruger was the name of one of the persons. She was married to a German by the name of Kruger, because Kruger is a German name, from which we learned the things of the Kruger telegram. And we also learned of On St. Croix, the name of Giau, G-E-O-U-G-H, was a German name also. And you've heard of, in Christianstead, you walk down and there's there's a gallery that they call Giau's Gallery. The gallery was there so that people could traverse out of the sunshine, but if it ever rained, you got wet even though you were under <laughs> the gallery. So and the thing is, there were many Germans' names. I, I can go into some of them, but as a sidebar, it is interesting for us to know and remember that now Kruger, Florence Kruger, her family owned what was in fact known today and then as the Chase Manhattan building right there at Norgata. They had an ice cream parlor there and a restaurant. And then also down at what became known as the Spensley building was where they were, the Kruger family. And the young man, the husband, was killed. And I don't want to go into the reason that was off okay. because that becomes speculative, but nevertheless, okay. you know, okay. abuse and all that. But nevertheless, the yeah. point was a lot of black families married German persons and vice versa. And oh. so the offspring, there is what we call miscegenation. Yes. The marriage elevate oneself uh, yes. into class and race and caste. Wow. So that, there's that kind of implication too. So St. Thomas was a real cosmopolitan. Yes. Cross, uh, international. Inter- yes. That's correct. International is yes. the correct word. Yes. Yeah. Of, of people and products and merchandise and pirates. All, All of that. Commodities. <laughs> All commodities. Don't forget the pirates. That's what I, that's, he just said pirates. So I said there are three distinctive groups. We have pirates, buccaneers, and privateers. And depend upon how we want to look at it. We'll yes. do that on another show because yes, it will take yes. some time to explain why. Yeah. Because the truth of the matter is several countries commissioned people yes. to engage in this yes. kind of thing. And the Great Britain, is. that's yeah. why Great Britain was no yeah. exception because yeah. Sir Walter Raleigh yes. and Rodney were instrumental in attacking towns and cities yes. and sending the stuff back to England. Yeah. And that is one of the reasons the Spanish main and the, the trading of what we call yes. Drake's Channel. He lurked yes. in that area to capture he and he Spanish galleons going yes. back. Yes. yes. Okay. Oh, that's going to be a great show. I love that. As much as oh, much yes, as we would yes. love to, we have to wrap it up now because we have about a minute left. Oh, my. Oh, my. I know. My, we're my. just getting going. <laughs> I uh, know. Val, any last minute uh, comments? Real quick. Just thank you to you guys. Uh, I well, love the show. Thank you for being here. Great to be thank able you. to call in. Thank you. Sure, thank good. you for being here. Good. Yes. 30 great seconds, job. Doc. Yes. My final words, not final in a sense, but for the segment, is uh, enjoy. <laughs> and as we move forward, although, I like to give yeah. you this comment, although we look at what is called uh, none other than the Irish holiday celebration yes. of the, the 15th. Yeah. Yes. 
are. We yeah. have to remember that as Catholics, you are not supposed to eat meat on Friday. So when we look at that whole concept, we have to get a special dispensation. Not anymore, but easily people yes. thought about that. You yes. eat fish. So we say St. Patrick's Day, and it's going to be celebrated. As a matter of fact, right now on St. Croix, there's a parade going yes. on. And uh, we say to those persons, happy St. Paddy's Day, for example. Okay. And to all persons, goodbye. So long, everyone. Bye. We're just about out of time. Thank you very much, Val. Thank you, Doc. We'll see you next okay. week. Thank you all. All right. Bye-bye okay. for now. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.